Uh, many years ago, when I was teaching in a Christian school, I got to uh, take the student leaders around to get different types of training. And uh, one of the occasions that I went to was this day that USQ put on for student leaders. And uh, bar none, there was a guy there, and it was the best address on public speaking I've ever heard. I still have the book. I still remember things that he said. And this is probably like 15 years ago that he actually said these things. Uh, he was one of the like performing arts lecturers out at USQ, and his talk went for about 25 minutes, and it was absolutely awesome. Um, and and uh, he, he had this um, saying that he used to describe the flow of public speech when you give a talk. And, uh, and this, this was his saying. Uh, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and tell them what you told them. So that's, that basically sums up your flow of a talk that you give publicly. Uh, it's a pretty common approach, it's, uh, but it's really effective. And I want to let you know today, this is actually uh, what John does in his gospel. Uh, if you go all the way back to John chapter 1, you know that he laid out all of the themes that he was going to cover in his gospel. He tells you what he's going to tell you uh, about Jesus. And then he tells you... <laughs> about Jesus. And where we find ourselves now in the book of John is actually at the end of Jesus's public ministry. Uh, And what John does is he tells you what he told you. That's what he does. Um, And and he tells you more correctly, he tells you who Jesus is again. And the interesting thing about this section of John is it doesn't seem like a, a particular scene in Jesus's ministry, but more a compilation of uh, who Jesus is and what he's been up to and what John has been saying up until this point. Um, It's a wrap-up to his public ministry. And I think this is really important for us today um, to just kind of journey with John in in his gospel because after this, it all changes. We go to the Last Supper. It's it's hours before Jesus is uh, is executed. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love to read the section for today. It's in John chapter 12. I'll be reading from the NIV version. So John 12 verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere... He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. This is a... um, piercing statement for they love human praise more than praise from God then Jesus cried out verse 44 whoever believes in me does not believe in me only but in the one who sent me the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness if anyone hears my words but does not keep them I do not judge that person for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. 
I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So today, in terms of what I'm going to look at, it's just going to have a little bit of a different structure than normal. Uh, It's not going to be like points that kind of feed into each other. We're just going to go through kind of like a revision lesson at school and look at the things that John says about Jesus. Um, If you've been through John, you would have heard these bits before, but that's okay. Who knows that we need to hear things over and over to get them and to understand them. Uh, We have very poor spiritual memories, and so it's good to be reminded of things, and that's what we're going to do today. So let's get into it. Here's the first one. Seeing Jesus. Have a look at verse 37 to 41 there. I want you to notice something. What John's doing is he's talking about seeing Jesus. And there's this collection of verses where he refers to it. You see it on the screen there. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, what's a sign? Well, a sign for John is something that people got to see. They saw Lazarus get raised from the dead. They saw miraculous things happen. The the very first sign that actually happened was at the wedding at Cana, was the turning of the water into wine. Um, You know, do you remember? Like John actually said way back at the wedding in Cana, he said, this is the first sign that Jesus did. And then he kind of says after that, that here's the second one that he did. And then you're kind of meant to keep counting, right? Because there's all these signs that, um, that Jesus did. And a sign points to something. You're meant to learn who Jesus is by the signs. But the startling reality here about this first verse up on the, the top left there is that even though people saw the signs, they didn't see Jesus. And so you can see as John works through that the idea of sight becomes something. It becomes something that he's pointing out. Now have a look at the next verse there in verse 40. This is a quotation from Isaiah. Do you know what's interesting about this quotation from Isaiah? Is in Isaiah 6 verse 10, it talks about ears as well. Let me read it to you. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. But notice here that John drops the ears right? Because I think what John's doing is he's saying, you need to be able to see Jesus. And these people couldn't see Jesus for who he truly was. You know, signs are about seeing, but the people don't see Jesus. They're blinded. And we go on further in John chapter 12, and and we see this uh, remark that John makes about Isaiah. He says that Isaiah saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. And you see the contrast here is that Isaiah saw who Jesus was before he even had Jesus in his presence, like the people there had in their presence, Isaiah saw him. And if you read the prophet of Isaiah, which I only just finished reading a little while ago, man, does he see some things about Jesus. And they are beautiful, beautiful things. I mean, there is nothing more stark, I don't think, in the whole of the Old Testament than the prophecies about Jesus in Isaiah 53. 800 years before Jesus comes on the scene and these startling specific uh, prophecies about Jesus. Isaiah sees who Jesus is. There are some in Jesus' time that see who he is and you can see that in verse 42 to 43. Even though they don't want to go public with it, they see him. They see him rightly. But there's all these people that don't 
see him. And you see this pattern the whole way through John. Some believe and some don't. And the confronting reality that you actually see here about seeing Jesus is it actually doesn't come down to evidence. Because everyone's got the same evidence, right? There's lots of people that saw Lazarus be raised from the dead. There were lots of people at the wedding in Cana, but not everyone believed. You know, when it comes to seeing Jesus, there's more going on than information or evidence. You know, it flags something for us. And and here's a summary of what it flags for us. Um, It's impossible to see Jesus for who he is without help. I could stand here and and you could be there and you could be a non-Christian and you don't believe in Jesus and you don't see Jesus and I could give you the best evidence ever, the most persuasive evidence and I wouldn't get you across the line because there's something more going on. I remember, um, some of you heard me tell this story before, I remember with a Christian studies class when I was teaching, showing them this debate, this conversation between uh, one of the foremost Christian apologists about the resurrection and the world's leading atheist at the time. And the Christian unraveled 95% of the atheist argument and all the students sitting in my classroom at the end of it said to me, why doesn't he become a Christian? Because becoming a Christian isn't just about the evidence. It's about what you're going to do with the evidence. It's about how you handle it. And and you can kind of see this in the flow of what John's actually saying here in John chapter 12, that it kind of gets a bit worse, this whole dynamic of needing help to be able to see. Because John goes on in verse 40 and he says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Now on the surface of it, that sounds weird. Is anyone with me on that? It sounds unfair. It sounds like there's all these people that want to come to Jesus and he's going to stop them. But that's not it. This is a hardening of people going in the same direction that they're already going. That's what's going on here. And, And the whole way through... John's gospel he's been telling us these people are responsible for their own hardening but how does the hardening happen right that's the question are you all with me so far is this okay how does how does the hardening happen right well probably lots of ways Um, but let me tell you one way that's really significant and I think you see this in the gospel of John as the revelation of who Jesus is becomes clearer, people get hardened by that. A lot of people get hardened. So it's kind of like as he becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, people get more and more hardened to who he is. The opposition becomes stronger. And it's all going to culminate in Jesus being hung on a Roman cross. You know, in that moment where Jesus is hanging on a Roman cross, that is the greatest display of who he is. And it's also going to be the point at which people are going to turn against him and the Jews are going to go away, we know from Matthew's gospel, and say, we need a guard on the tomb, right? Do you see that? It's like as Jesus gets clearer, people get harder and there's some people that get softer. That's just how it works. This is, this is how Spurgeon puts it, I think really helpfully. 
The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. I, I think this is what's going on here. Jesus is getting clearer and clearer and people who are opposed to him are hardening in their opposition to him. But for those who see God, those who see Jesus, it only gets richer, right? Because um, Isaiah saw Jesus' as glory and spoke about him. <laughs> we even see, even though it's messy in this passage in John 12, that there's some that believed in Jesus, but they didn't want to actually go public about it. And I kind of go, well, that's a point of victory, right? It's not an utter loss. How's this relevant to us? Um, Here's how it's relevant to us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need help to see Jesus. You can't see Jesus clearly for who he is on your own. It's not just about the evidence. And if you're sitting here today and you're a Christian and you're connected to people who aren't Christians, they need help to see Jesus. You know, you can, you can roll out all the evidence. You can roll out the best argument and I'm all for that. But it's not going to get people over the line. Because they need help to see Jesus. What does this mean um, about you and your prayer life? Probably that you need to pray for people that don't need Jesus. That Sorry, that don't see Jesus properly. And not even properly pray for them. That's what you need to be doing, right? And, and like for some of us, it's like we've shared people with Jesus and they've got a clear understanding of the gospel and they haven't become a Christian. That's right. Because <laughs> they need help to see Jesus. And so you need to ask the Lord, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to work in someone's heart to help them to see Jesus. Because left to themselves, the truth about Jesus just hardens people. It's the nature of where people are at. You know, (laughs) over and over in Scripture, and John does this too, um, people don't. They don't become Christians because they lack someone to persuade them. They don't become Christians because they're blind. That Scripture says that over and over, is that they're actually blind. And so we need someone to come to help us to see. And, and it's not, I don't, I don't know about you, but you take this same metaphor and, and um, apply it to the Christian life. And I just go, you know what, there's just days where I find it really hard to see Jesus I I just I can't see him you know and and I'm not saying that I'm not a Christian and that I'm in a blind kind of state in the way that scripture talks about people who aren't Christians but there's just sometimes I can't see Jesus very well and so you know what I need to do I need to ask for help to see Jesus (laughs) and the spirit loves to help us But if you live your life and you just kind of go, I can just tap into God and see him whenever I want under my own steam, my own strength, it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. We we need help to see Jesus. And even when Jesus works in our heart by the Holy Spirit to help us to see him when we become a Christian, we're still going to need help from the Spirit to see Jesus. Anyone give me an amen for that? Yeah. So one of the things that you could pray which I pray on days where I can't see Jesus, is can you help me to see Jesus? Help me to see who he truly is in this particular moment. Go to Scripture and read Scripture because Scripture is Jesus' word and Scripture helps you to see Jesus.
you cry out. And I would just encourage you today, if it's dark and you're stuck in a fog, you need help to see him. (laughs) So you should cry out to him and ask him to help you to see him because that's what he loves to do. That's what the Spirit loves to do. Second thing we see in this section of Scripture is uh, perfect alignment. You know, looking at verses 44 to 45, and this is something that we've seen all the way along in John's Gospel as well. And you know what it is, is that the Father and the Son are in perfect alignment, in perfect alignment. And, and this is really important, right? Believing is a very active reality in the Gospel of John. It's kind of full buy-in. And, and you've got this situation where you've got these religious people around Jesus that believe in God the Father, but they don't believe in the Son. And so Jesus is kind of pushing them on it and saying, we're actually in perfect alignment with one another. We're one. And here's the, here's the verses I'm, I'm talking about, verse 44 to 45. You read it and, and you understand what's going on, uh, where Jesus is uh, showing who he is and his connection with the Father, and you kind of go, well, I'm pretty sure there's some religious people back then that need to hear that, uh, this perfect alignment. But uh, I'll just put to you this morning, I wonder if we need to hear it. Do we need to hear it? Uh, in a different way than they did, but with the same principle. Let me flesh this out for you. Um, for most of my life, I've thought about the Father and the Son as being different. The Father is the harsh one. He's kind of the Old Testament one. You don't go to him too much if you need help at least not much anyway, he's kind of the, is anyone with me on this? He's kind of the angry one, right, in the Old Testament. Um, it's kind of, if you need help, don't go to him. You, you go to Jesus. That's what you do. You go to Jesus if you need help. He's, Jesus is the one who understands you. He's the one that will be kind to you. Don't, probably don't go to the God, the Father in the Old Testament because uh, Jesus is not as fierce as God the Father in the Old Testament. Um, so, so anyone know what I'm talking about? What's that? Yeah, good cop, bad cop. The Father's a bad cop in the Old Testament and Jesus is a good cop, right? And I, I just wonder, um, do you have a distinction in your mind between the character and the inclination of the Father and the Son? I know you're not supposed to, and we're all sitting here and we're going, well, you're not really supposed to, but do you? All right. Because it can sneak in on you, right? Well, Jesus won't let you. He won't let you. I mean, sure, there's differentiation in their roles, but their heart and their character, their inclination is no different. And what I want you to do, I'm just going to take the verse out of these two and just, that's it. And you just need to stop and consider that one. Stop and consider if your view of the Father and the Son are in complete alignment. He's pushing you 
and he's pushing me, and he's pushing me this week, right? Because I'll be honest with you and say, I don't think my views of the Father and the Son are in complete alignment yet. And, and so I spent a lot of time this week thinking about that at, at a personal level, and Jesus just pushing me and pushing me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. All right, let's have an audience interaction activity, and this can always go really badly really quickly, but we'll have a go. Tell me something about Jesus' character. Can someone tell me something, just, just anything about him? He's compassionate. Everyone happy with that? Everyone happy to sign off on that, that Jesus is compassionate? Father's compassionate. All right, give me something else. Forgiving. Really forgiving. Unbelievably forgiving. Everyone happy with that? The Father's forgiving. Unbelievably forgiving. Someone give me something else. Righteous. Yeah, gets everything right. Jesus just gets everything right. It'd be frustrating to be one of his siblings, right? But he just does. He just gets everything right. Everyone happy with that? The Father is righteous, gets everything right. Give me something else. He sees the good in you. He loves you. Yeah. Sees who, you, who he made you to be. Everyone happy with that? Yeah? Father sees that. What else? Pardon? Trustworthy. Yeah. Trustworthy. You can go to him with the, the hardest, most difficult stuff, the, the really fragile stuff, and uh, he's trustworthy. He'll come through. He's faithful. Everyone happy with that? The Father is trustworthy. He can handle your fragile stuff equally as well as the Son. You see what I'm saying? You just go through one after the other. You know, I'll give you an example. I was, I was reading this. This morning, you know, when I, because we went through this not that long ago in John chapter 10, right, that um, Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, when I think about who's a shepherd, I think about Jesus, right, because I get drawn to John chapter 10. But, you know, Psalm 23 says the Lord is my shepherd, <laughs> doesn't it? They're all shepherding, aren't they? Um Whatever is true about Jesus in terms of character and inclination is true about the Father. Are they in alignment for you? And I'm not saying that to be irritating. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Is like, if, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. You know? And I'll just encourage you this week, that would be a good verse to meditate on and pray over this week like, I've been doing for the last week and just going, man, where, where are the edges or corners or nooks and crannies where I don't have that alignment going on in my heart? Where do I hesitate to go to the Father because I think he's a bit harsh and Jesus is the good guy? It's like just hang out on it, hang out on that verse and, um, and let God push you into those corners. Let the Spirit push you with Jesus' words into those corners where you just go, no, they're in complete alignment if jesus is good for something the father is equally good for it number three light and darkness 
verse 46 there in John chapter 12, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Now, what's being talked about here is spiritual darkness. And the key thing here is that the world's in the dark. Um, There are a lot of people who think they're enlightened in our world, but about the most important thing, not all of them are. There's a lot of them that are in the dark. Um, We saw this way back in John chapter 1, John 1 verse 4 to 5, in him was life, speaking of Jesus. That life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The world's a dark place. There are many dark things that go on in our world, but the darkest thing that goes on in our world isn't actually the evil within our world, as dark as that possibly is. All of the evil in the world is downstream of the darkest thing that's going on in our world. The darkest thing in our world is that people don't see Jesus. That's the darkest thing in our world. They're blind and they're living in the darkness. That's what Jesus has been saying. Let me put it this way. If Jesus is who he says he is and he made everything and his life is in everything and he gives meaning and breath to everything, if all of that's true and you don't believe in him or acknowledge him, that is darkness. That is darkness. And it's obvious, right? If you're in the dark, what do you need? You need a light, right? That's what you need. And I wonder whether you've ever been in complete darkness. I'm sure that you have. You ever been in a place physically where it's like you can't even see your hand in front of your face? One of the classic times that they do this is, uh, is when you go on a cave tour, right? And you get down there and they've got all these lovely lights on with all the formations and everything down there in the cave and then they go right everyone stand and hold on to the railing because in a minute in 30 seconds I'm going to turn the lights out and they turn it out and it's like pitch black right like pitch black you hold your hand up in front of your face and you see nothing and you kind of go it's all right my eyes are going to get accustomed to the darkness in a minute and then I'll see something and then 30 seconds later it's like still nothing there's nothing um and what do you do when you're standing on a staircase in the middle of the dark and you can't see anything and there's dangerous drops all around you or you you don't move right you stay where you are i mean if you had to and you got stuck in there i guess you could probably try and find your way out but it'd be dangerous it'd be slow and you'd likely get hurt the best way forward is a light isn't it Can someone turn the lights back on? This is what our world is like. Uh, Blind to who God is. Blind to true life. Blind to true reality. But Jesus has come. And it's awesome, isn't it? He is light and he is life. He points the way. And if you look at that verse there... um, Uh, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You know, there's a a sense to that. It's like, well, you just don't need to stay in the dark. You you need to come to Jesus. (laughs) It's it's an optional thing to it. And, And I'd say that to you today. Like, if you don't know Jesus, it's awesome that you came to church. And I'll just say to you, you, even though you're blind, you don't have to stay there. You could actually have Jesus 
heal your sight and bring light to the darkness. And, and, and the beautiful thing about uh, Jesus doing his light-bringing kind of work is not only does Jesus help you to see him, but he helps you to see everything else rightly and correctly. Uh, C.S. Lewis says in uh, Mere Christianity, I think, he says, I believe in Christianity in the same way that I believe the sun has risen, not just because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You see, Jesus is that kind of light. He doesn't just help you to see him. He doesn't even just help you to see him and you. He helps you to see everything. It's incredible. And it's optional. <laughs> it's like you, you don't, it's, we're not here as Christians kind of going, we've got the answer and it kind of sucks to be you. It's like, no, it's optional. We've just bought into it. We've asked Jesus to help us to see him and it's brought light to our life. Any Christians give me an amen? Of course it has. Heaps. It could be you. It could be you. Number four, saving, not judging. Have a look at verse 47 uh, to 48. Just want to read it again if you've got it in front of you there. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, this is fascinating. He says, I do not judge that person. That's interesting. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn, condemn them at the last day. Now, what Jesus is doing here in these two verses is he's, uh, he, he's making some statements to talk about his purpose in the world, right? Because there's other parts of John's gospel that make it clear that Jesus' role is to judge, right? Um, but that's not why he's come the first time. That's not what he's up to. Um, one of the schools that I taught at in my teaching career um, had an old school principle, right? Um, some of you might know what I'm talking about. It's a, that's the principle that prowls around in between morning tea and lunch breaks, right? And it's like, and some of you know what I'm talking about because you're one of these people. Like, if you are standing outside the classroom when the principal's prowling around, it's like, you're just going to disappear off the face of the earth, right? And your friends are going to go, where did John go? You know, or where did, where did Mary go? Like they were outside the classroom a while ago and it's like there's this kind of fierce kind of principal prowling around and he takes you up to his office, doesn't even really care what you, do, what you did in the classroom. It's like, what the heck were you doing outside the classroom? Um, you know, you, you were the one that got the, if it was you, that got the come with me um, statement. Um, so the context in, um, in John is that the whole world is in darkness and in a state of disobedience and rebellion. And you could see Jesus like the old school principal that's walking around picking people up who are out of line and giving them their comeuppance, right? But is he an old school principal? You know, the, the old school principal is the kind of God that Adam and Eve expected, wasn't it? right? They'd blown it. What did, what did Adam and Eve expect? They expected an old school principle to come through, didn't they? Um, and bust them. And, and that's often the kind of God that we expect. Um, 
And it's not surprising in one sense because you just go, well, okay, we're, we're kind of like bank robbers standing at the front of the bank holding all the loot, right, while the law enforcement gets around us. That's kind of that's where we're at because we have done stuff that's wrong that's not right. And the one coming at us or to us is a holy and righteous one, the one who's all-powerful. He sees and he knows everything so you can't hide anything from him. He's the one against whom everyone else is measured. He's actually the one that's going to be the judge on the last day. And if you had someone like that coming in your direction, what would you be thinking? He's coming to get me. You'd be thinking judge, not saviour. But you know what Jesus is saying here? Saviour, not judge right now. Saviour, not judge. Most famous verse in uh, the Bible, arguably, is for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17 is equally as good because it actually speaks to the way that we understand and see things often. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Saviour, not judge on this visit. Right. Next visit, saviour and judge. This is this is what Jesus is saying here. Um, so what what's going to happen? Well, one day there's going to be an accounting, and there will be a day where uh, the just judge will hand out what's true and right and fair for every single person. Um, and what Jesus starts talking about, what he, what he talks about here in these uh, verses, in verse 47 to 48, is on that day, there's going to be something that's going to condemn people. Um, what is that going to be? Well, let's put this really clearly, people's rejection of Jesus. That's what's going to condemn them. And this is why the telling of the gospel to other people is so important. You know, you, you might have a friend that doesn't know Jesus and uh, you might hesitate to share Jesus with them. And I think there's wisdom about how you do that, which is why we're doing a workshop later on today. But every single person will stand before the judge at the end. And if, if your friends... have not asked Jesus to help them to see him. If they don't see him, if they haven't given their life to him, if they haven't trusted in him, he will be judged to them on that day. But what will be interesting about the judgment is there's going to be a lot of it that's not going to need to get talked about in a sense. That's kind of the vibe I get when I read this because it's people's own rejection of Jesus that is going to judge them. And, you know, there's a natural, normal way, I think, that we can do evangelism with people who don't know Jesus. But there needs to be, and I don't mean urgency as in it's got to be done within 30 minutes of church being over, but there is a bit of urgency there, right? Because if your family don't know Jesus um, and they don't come to know Jesus before they die, they will stand before him and their rejection of him will judge them. 
and that, that won't be pleasant. If your friends don't know Jesus and they don't come to know Jesus, they will stand before the judge too. And their rejection of him will judge them. God is a fair judge. He's a just judge. Number five. Here's where we're going to finish today. Verse 49 to 50, if you've got it open there, I just want to read that one again too. Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now, there's a couple of things that are actually going on in this section. There's the obvious intertwining between what Jesus says and what the Father says. They're linked in with one another. And I want to just let you know that it's not um, like a rote learning thing where Jesus has repeated his times tables, right? And God said, I want you to say this thing. It's, it's, and then Jesus kind of just repeats it. There's a joyful alignment between the Father and the Son. Father says, this is what I want you to say. And he goes, yeah, of course. I'd love to say that. It's, it sits right in the center of who he is too. He stays in line perfectly with what the Father says. And he says what the father wants him to say. And it's not an overbearing father who's, who's, who's dominant and manipulative. It's, it's a father and a son that just love each other. They're in perfect alignment. It's like, of course, of course we would do that. That's what we do. The father told him to say everything he said. <laughs> and you get to the, the bit in that section where... Um, it talks about, uh, I know that his command leads to life. And you could kind of be forgiven at this point for just going, what command? Um, is there one I'm missing? Which one do I need to do to get life? Uh, but I want to say to you that if you, if you head down that road, you're actually drifting into kind of Old Testament thinking. Let me, let me show you on this screen here. Remember in John chapter 1, um, John writes, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a law, a written law, and there's a person. <laughs> Do you see the difference? One's a written law, one's a person. So you need to actually think about what the command is. Um, Look at the first half of verse 50 there on the screen. I know that his command leads to eternal life. Is, is it a rule that Jesus is talking about? It's not. What, what the command is, is the word of Jesus that exists and comes out of his person, the truth and grace that exists within the person of Jesus. You see, to disobey the Son, to reject what the Son says is to reject the command and end up in death. Does that make sense? To accept the son and accept what the son says is to accept the command and it leads to life. To accept Jesus is to accept life and that's really important. And I want to just um, finish up today uh, by talking about one more thing that's relevant to us that comes out of this. And it's this tendency that we have as Christians sometimes to actually separate God's word from God's person or Jesus' words from his person. And, you know, it probably doesn't happen much uh, in this church that I can see, but I've seen a lot in Christianity. 
um, it, it's, it's not, unfortunately, it's not uncommon for people to talk more about the Word of God than the person of God, which I think is, is weird. Um, I've even seen some people, I think, that have more of a relationship with the Bible than with God. <laughs> They've got more of a relationship with the Bible than they have with Jesus. And, and I think that's a problem. Um, and, and I think it's a problem because it mostly just doesn't make sense. Like if someone says something, you don't just connect with the words that they've said, you, you're connecting with the person. Like it's a package deal. It's always a package deal. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense to me that you would love so much what someone says and not actually like the person. Um, it's a bit weird. I mean, it'd be like, I'm not saying this would ever happen, but it would be like in the church here, I said some things and some people just started going off about the things that I said and just going, this is so good. These, these words here are so good. They're so good and true. And just totally forget me as a person, you know, and just kind of disconnecting them. But somehow that kind of happens to us. You know, when people say things, their word is attached to their person. When you listen to them, you're really listening to them. And this is what it's like for God. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus says what the Father tells him to say. What Jesus says is directly connected to who he is. And so listening to Jesus means listening to his person. It means engaging with him personally. If you listen to his words, you're listening to the Father. His commands, his words embodied in the person of Jesus lead to eternal life. Eternal life comes when you believe in and respond to Jesus. On Friday this week, uh, many, uh, many of you would have heard, sorry, this First bit is, is yesterday. Many of you would have heard yesterday uh, morning that Tim Keller died. Um, he's been battling uh, pancreatic cancer. If you don't know who Tim Keller is, he's been uh, called the, the C.S. Lewis of our generation. Um, he's had some very broad impact right across denominational lines. Um, lots and lots of people have been really blessed by uh, Tim's ministry. He uh, planted a Presbyterian church in uh, downtown Manhattan, but he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer not that long ago, and um, he died. Uh, I think it was yesterday morning, uh, Australian time. Um, but interestingly, on Friday, just a couple of days ago, Tim's son posted an update on his father's health in his battle against cancer. And uh, this is the post. I'm just going to read it. That's Tim. Uh, today, Dad is being discharged from the hospital to receive hospice care at home. Over the past few days, he has asked us to pray with him often. He expressed many times uh, through prayer his desire to go home to be with Jesus. His family is very sad because we all wanted more time, but we know he has very little at this point. In prayer, he said two nights ago, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. Now, Christian news sites and social media posts latched onto it. 
Um, and, and this is one of the things that happens when, when someone who's, who's, uh, who's, is dying and they're close to death, we kind of latch on to their final words, right? Uh, because a dying person's words and actions are so significant. And what a, a fitting end for Tim Keller, if you know him. It's a very, very fitting end. His, his last words are the other words, as far as we know. I mean, there's probably other ones, but the last public words here, it's like that is in line with everything that he has done, everything that he has said. It, it kind of anchors who you understand them to be. It, it distills down in some ways what drives them. And this is where we're turning now in the Gospel of John. Uh, next week, we're, uh, we're going to start... Uh, looking at the, the Last Supper. And it's, it's, it's about 24 hours before Jesus dies. And we're going to be in the Last Supper, who knows how long, right? Because John chapter 13 to 17 is all these things that Jesus seems to be saying at the Last Supper. And, and, and you're sitting there, and, and I just want to encourage you as we transition to next week that we're sitting listening to a man about to die. He's about to be executed. And you always pay to the attention to the words of Jesus. But when he's sitting there and he's saying the last things before he gets executed, you really listen, right? Because it tells you something about what anchors him, what drives him. And you'll, you'll see this next week um, because one of the most stunning things is that the first thing he does is he washes the disciples' feet. That tells you something about Jesus, <laughs> right? That's next Sunday. Hopefully you got something off that sushi train as it came round. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I'll, um, I'll pray and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Jesus, there are some today that don't see you. Perhaps they don't see you because they've never seen you heard things about you, they've heard things said about you, but they have never really seen you for who you are. Can you help them to see you? God, there's some here today who are your kids, who uh, have seen you, they do know what you're like, but they just are struggling right now to see you. It's hard for them to see you. Can you help them to see you? Whatever the veil is, that's over their eyes take it away so that they can see you face to face Jesus we want to uh, we want you to be our anchor thank you for coming and taking on human flesh and saying a whole bunch of really important things We love that you've seen to it that it would be recorded. 
in four different Gospels so that we can see at least from four different vantage points the things that you've, you've said. And we just want to say to you today that we're sorry for not paying attention to you and the things that you say. Many of us have paid attention to you this week. Um, We thank you for your work in our hearts to bring that about, but there's none of us who have paid attention to you all the time this week. We just ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us from that and help us to pay attention to you, to listen to you. Because we know that you are good. Everything you say is good. And being connected to you leads to life. Amen.